This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. Today is Monday, June 4th, 2018. I am Patrick Moran. On today's show... I interview former Buffalo Bills cornerback Marlon Kerner. Marlon talks about growing up in Ohio and playing for Ohio State, getting drafted to the Buffalo Bills in 1995, his career playing for a team that was still very good, but they were also on their way down from that historic run of four straight Super Bowls. We talk about the devastating knee injuries that ended his career far too early, what he's up to today, and a lot more. I'll get to that interview with Marlon in a few. Before that, I'm joined by my usual Monday Pat with Puck sidekick, Tone Pucks. What's up, Tone P? How you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. What's going on? Not too much. Not too much. We'll get to our normal Pat with Puck stuff, you know, later on in this episode. But before that, I do have a topic to discuss that I know you have strong opinions on. I definitely do as well. And that's what's going on with the Buffalo News Sports Department lately. Now, you weren't on last Monday because of the holiday weekend had a lot of things going on. So we didn't get a chance to talk about that last week. Plus, more has happened since last Monday. John Vogel, who worked for the news for 16 years, been covering the Sabres. He got a, and I'm using air quotes here, by the way, when I say this. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes, too. Buyout. Then, I, what was it? The same day, maybe a couple days later, I'm not, I don't remember. But Bucky Gleason, who worked for the news for about 20 years, same deal with him. And then this past Monday, the hammer really dropped when Jerry Sullivan who's been at the news, well, Jesus, he's been there forever, lead columnist forever. He got an involuntary buyout, and he pretty much said that. Are we, man, what's going on? First of all, you're a Buffalo guy. I'm a Buffalo guy. And for the record, I mean, this isn't just limited to Buffalo. This is probably starting to happen in a lot of major cities. What's going on with newspapers affects things everywhere. What's your, first of all, what's your thoughts on what has happened over the last couple of weeks with the Buffalo News Sports Department? Well, man, I, I mean, I'll, I'll preface it by saying this. More than just being a Buffalo guy, I have always considered myself a a, a Buffalo media guy. Like, I, I go back to, you know, to being a little kid watching Clipley's Believe It or Not and, and the sure. big personality that was that was Clip Smith at, at the time and, and my passion for sports and, and watching someone – uh, enjoy it as much as he seemed to enjoy it. And it really only snowballed from there as, as my mother's career took a path into uh, television sales when I was still, you know, kind of young and adorable. 
uh, not that I'm not still adorable now, but you know, uh, adorable to her, <laughs> to her coworkers and stuff. That so you know, I'd be going to Channel Two a lot, and um, you know, got to meet a lot of the personalities, and I, I've just always uh, enjoyed following that local market. You know, I, I think the, uh, the personalities are interesting and, and in a small city like Buffalo, I think they become part of the fabric. And, you know, in saying all that, I felt like the news coming out of, uh, out of, out of the Buffalo news was just an absolute gut punch for me. You know, I came to, you know, really, enjoy the dying breed that is journalism and the way these guys wrote and just their old school mentality. And yeah, they were a little rough around the edges. They had plenty of, you know, uh, certainly in the case of Sully, you know, get off my, uh, get off my lawn qualities, but you know, at their heart, man, I mean, they were pros, pros, and, um, and it's become a dying breed. I feel like we've already seen it in the television markets, you know, nothing against, you know, the, 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 the talents that are in those roles now, but they're young and inexpensive. That's, I mean, you know, you look at some of these, some of these, um, people on the news now, man, and they just, they look like kids, you know what I mean? They look really freaking young and they're not quite as polished. They don't spell exactly, uh, uh, correctly on Twitter either, which is like super fucking annoying. <laughs> and, you know, and it seems like with the, with the exception of, you know, some of the holdovers, Mike Harrington uh, certainly comes to mind. It seems like the news may now be, you know, going that same, going that same route. And obviously it's the route of, um, of, of low least expense. So it's not a, not a fun time, you know, and if you like these guys and, and they were part of your routine, um, either reading them or, um, you know, interacting on Twitter as they, you know, came to do obviously, uh, in their later years of, of their career, it's going to suck not having them around, um, until they resurface, hopefully in, in some similar capacity. I almost completely agree with you on it. I hate what's happening. Like you, I'm an old school guy, man. I've, I was since the time I could remember, I wanted to be a sports writer. I failed miserably at it, but I still wanted to be one. So because of that, I just followed, you know, th- these guys. I, I I read the Buffalo News like it was gospel to me. And I again, I know we're hanging on to the past and stuff like that. And I'll preface this too. It's not a matter because I like Jerry Sullivan or I like Bucky Gleason or I like John Vogel. I mean, I do like John a lot. I wasn't the biggest Bucky Gleason fan. I'm going to admit that. Ditto for Sully. But you know what? And I talked to Mike Rodek last week about this. There's room in this world for types of columnists like him still. I didn't always like what Jerry Sullivan wrote. In fact, a lot of times I hated it. And you know what? I kind of thought he was a prick on Twitter sometimes too. You know, rubbing people the wrong way. I don't want to say troll like, but he just didn't care. But you know what? No matter what. The first thing after a Buffalo Bills game I've always done, and I'm talking about even just this past season. I'm not talking a decade ago. I'm talking just like this year. To this day, I would always look to see what Jerry Sullivan had to say. You know what I mean? That's gone now. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like like you said, you know, you might not like it, but you knew you were going to get something that no one else was giving you. All right. 
And maybe Sully tried too hard sometimes to give you that nugget that no one else was giving you. Maybe, it, it, you know, when when things were always coming up roses, Sully was, you know, took it personal to, you know, to be the guy to, uh, to tell you to pump the brakes. That kind of became his persona and why some, you know, didn't seem to have too much uh, of a problem with it. But let's be honest, you know, this is a city that has had far more sports failures um, than sports successes. So what the hell do you want them to write about? I, I, I mean, seriously, it, it's, it's, you know, I, I, I can't, I, I can't talk about this, you know, uh, the, this recent purge without looking back at the, the, what I think was a bit of a dip in, in the popularity of some of these guys at the news when it came to pro tankers versus anti tankers. Now I'm not here to say that their popularity or a dip in it. Okay. Was, was cause for this. I think the, it's the root is, is much deeper, but you know, I mean, we got to, we got to a point where, you know, that, that started to matter. And Sully even alluded to it a little bit, you know, as he was piecing out, man, you know, he, he, he talked about how his, his, Oh, how do you do how he worded quote, it, man? His like his quote, voice his direct yeah. quote when he got let go or accepted a buyout. And again, I use air quotes when I say that his direct quote was his voice. He was told that his voice was becoming bad for business. That's got a boy that, you know, if that doesn't really fucking piss you off, man, then, then you just, I don't think you really get it. You know, I, I, that, that just, uh, that eats at me a little bit because I'll tell you something. I, uh, I follow a, a paper. I think it's a paper. I think it's a, an, a, an actual tabloid called the public. I was just going to ask here, you about here locally. this. Uh, did you, did you read the, the, the Elmer Plotz, uh, yes, commentary? And here, it? so people listening, can know. In fact, I wrote it down. I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to ask you this next. I want your take on this when I'm done. Okay. So what Tone Bucks is referring to is the daily public. It was an, I don't know if it's a newspaper or not. I'm not in Buffalo anymore, but I did read it online. Someone sent it to me. Okay. And the article among a lot of things, it isn't exclusive to that, but it does allude to the fact of mentioning something about maybe one Buffalo may have put pressure on the Buffalo news you know, being wary of all that criticism. And here is the actual quote from the article, okay? It says this, or perhaps pressure was coming from someplace like One Buffalo where they seem to be a bit twitchy about criticism. And if the news, which has been making an increasing amount of its income from printing, was to pick up, say, printing of Buffalo Sabres game programs or Buffalo Bills materials, well, that would be good for business, right? Here's my question. Again, we don't know if there's any truth to that, but even if there's a shred of truth to that, how messed up would it be for one Buffalo to start controlling who stays and who goes at the one newspaper town like the Buffalo News? It would It would be... Absolute... I, I mean, it'd be it's unprecedented, Trump-like. man. It's it, Donald be, Trump-like it, to me. It would be... It, 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 it is. That's it's that's, that's, that's a pretty good way to put it. Yo, but here's the thing. It's it's it is a lot of speculation from a dude that we have no idea 
who he was before sure. he wrote this article. I'm, uh, you know, I'm sure he's everything that he, you know, claims to be in the article and has the history that he has with the news and stuff like that. But that's taking a very, very big leap that I'm, and I'm not saying that you are at all, right. but it's one that I'm not prepared to take. But we do know from the day, from the day Terry Pagula became an owner in this town, he talked about the relationship with, I mean, at his Sabres presser, man, he talked about the relationship with the media as as, as some sort of partnership. He's been very sensitive to that. He's had it wrong from the jump. And look, you... (laughs) It's hard to believe it's uh, I'm sure there's there's there are there's money involved in, in some sort of, you know, probably not to the extent uh, of of LaFontaine's gag clause when he got out of here with however much of Pagula's money he got out of here with. But I'm sure there is, you know, money involved with the separation of these um, journalists and their now former employer. But if they ever get to the bottom of a guy that already rubbed them the wrong way, having pushed them out of town, boy, I'll fucking run to the, wherever that paper or column or whatever, you know, gets written. I will stop what I'm doing and read every freaking sentence of it. If they, <laughs> if Jerry Sullivan finds out that Terry Magula pushed them out of his job, holy fuck is it on? Yeah. That's all. Well, and again, it's a speculatory piece in this daily public. I don't want to praise it. I don't want to bash it either because we don't know. But you got to admit, I mean, Sully said in, in his statement or his tweet, I should say, about being let go. He was told his columns, you know, his voice was becoming bad for business. Doesn't that sound like coming from up above? Well, you're too negative. Dude, Sully's been writing what he's been writing for many years. Now his voice is bad for business. It's just something doesn't add up there. And we're not being conspiracy guys here either. But you have to admit, there's it smells like there's some smoke around that it might have been more than just sagging numbers and money. You know what I'm saying? Which, by the way, another topic, and maybe we'll touch on that in a minute. But in that article in the Daily Public, it stated that the Buffalo News lost $1.8 million in the first quarter of 2018, which marked the first time that they lost money in 40 years. So they did lose money over this quarter. So I don't know, man. It's like how much of that is money and how much of that is, you know, general negative writing, which by the way, if you want to play devil's advocate on the other side, John Vogel is not a negative writer at all. If, if they were going to attack someone who's negative when it comes to the Sabres, it would definitely be Harrington, which I love that by the way. You know, Mike will put the Sabres on blast. I mean, John did too, but not like Mike did. So I'm not sure, but you got to admit, Bucky and Sully are two very, you know, people like to perceive them as being guys who write a lot of negative columns. I don't know, man. It just, I don't want to play conspiracy guys. Just said that. uh, Something just don't add up to me. Hey, look, you know, the article um, certainly raised an eyebrow, but in reality, the more, as it comes out of my mouth, all right, and then it kind of cycles back into my brain, all right, from you, I think if I if I really had to land on something as it relates to the negativity, it would not be pressure. 
um, from anyone, you know, associated with the teams, it would, it would come down to the fact that the fans, you know, turned away from it. They didn't want the negativity. It became, you know, well, my God, it's, it, it became so prevalent because of all of the bad seasons, but you know, they, they didn't want to hear it, you know? And I, I really, really believe that the, the different, uh, different, uh, opinions on the tank, you know, lost a lot of credibility, you know, the, the, you know, anti-tankers, uh, they kind of lost the battle to, to, to pro tankers, even though the anti-tankers ended up, you know, with far more, uh, you know, proof in their pudding that they were right at the end of the day, you know, the, uh, the readers, the listeners, whatever, you know, because let's not forget that, you know, these guys also, you know, did more than just write at, at the, at the end there, you know, they tuned out the, the anti-tankers and the negativity. So it's probably not a case where it really came down to, you know, and any, uh, any higher authority in this region or with these sports teams, you know, dictating what goes on there. I think the, uh, you know, I think the fans kind of dictated that. And I think the G WGR and I'm not pointing fingers at them, but you know, the WGR pro tankers beat out the Buffalo news anti-tankers for, uh, you know, for people's opinions and, and, uh, and, and people's, um, you know, where, where people turned. So we're clear on this to everyone listening. This isn't just a Buffalo problem. Newspaper businesses is in trouble everywhere. I mean, I look, you know, Syracuse, Cleveland, New Orleans, their city's major newspapers, they're going out in like three days per week and it's coming to more and more cities. They're just struggling to survive. It's just the, 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 the world that we live in now. Now we're both old school to an extent. I think you might be a little more than me, like in how you consume media. You're still the guy who reads the Buffalo news every day and you listen to WGR radio every day, which is nothing wrong. I do the same thing as well. But, you know, I like to listen to read more blogs and listen to podcasts and stuff like that, which you don't, you're on a podcast and you don't even listen. You probably don't even listen to <laughs> You probably don't even listen to this fucking podcast. You know what I mean? So you're still old school when it comes to stuff like that. What's going on is forcing guys like you or guys older than you, you consume in that way. You're going to have to adapt and change. You know what I'm saying? You're not going to be able to get everything that you used to get from the newspaper and from just, you know, the radio station and stuff like that. You got to start moving around and, and it's just the way the world is. Now, one thing I don't agree with is everyone says these blogs are better than the newspaper. No, they're not. No, they're not. Straight up. They're not. Some of them have good niches and some of the blogs are very good that I see out there, but ain't none of them better than the Buffalo news. They're just not, there's no Tim Graham's out there who are blogging. There's no Mike Harrington's out there who are blogging. And listen, I know a lot of people don't like Mike Harrington and I love Mike, but I'll tell you what, I could understand why people don't like Mike Harrington. Dude has some thin skin. He does not like criticism. He thinks because he's a reporter that everyone should respect what he says. And, they, and maybe he's right, but it just doesn't work that way. Not in today's world. Which, before we move on to this interview with Marlon, that is the one thing I wanted to ask you. You're on Twitter a lot. You see social media. What's your take on, you know, the ugliness of social media and people's responses when something happens like this? Particularly in the case of Jerry Sullivan, when he got let go or bought out, whatever you want to call it. There was some ugly ass shit 
that people were tweeting at him. Dude just got, you know, 29-year career at the Buffalo News or whatever it was, just ended in a blink, seemingly anyway. And people are just riding his ass. I just, I don't roll like that, man. It's just, just wrong. And I know you get heated and you, you get those hot Twitter fingers sometimes that people, sometimes they deserve it, maybe they don't. But what's your take just on the ugliness of social media when it comes to shit like that? Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't really have much of a take beyond those people are just assholes. No, seriously. I mean, it's, it's, it's black and white for me. That's, that's just, that's being an asshole. You know, we can talk about, you know, coaches who lose jobs and things like that and, and call for coaches jobs. Right. Um, you know, these are, these are six figure, seven figure gigs, man. You know, in, in the case, um, of, you know, a, a working man, like a, like a journalist is, calling for a job or, or being, you know, showing any sort of, uh, um, happiness over somebody losing right. a job is just being an asshole. Now I'm going to say this though. Okay. You know, there's a dude on Twitter that I think we both follow and like, and stuff like that, who made no, no qualms to, uh, about the fact that he wasn't a, a, a Sully fan. You know, he, he put it out his, uh, you know, his opinions as to why, you know, he didn't care for the guy's work. I'm cool with that. All right. I mean, if somebody's just, you know, has a, has a problem with, you know, the way, you know, somebody's comes across or something like that, then I respect that. Like I would like, and I think to some degree, as long as it doesn't, you know, get in the way of, 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 you know, the podcasts and Moranalytics relationship with the person, I think you understand how crazy Tim Graham drives me on Twitter, you know? And I think this was true uh, of, of, of Sully, uh, body of work, you know, with, uh, with people. And if you articulate it in a way that, uh, that doesn't demean the person or make, uh, you know, make light of the fact that they, uh, you know, they're out of work now, then, Hey man, you, you know, you, you, you get that voice too. And that's, you're entitled to it. Look, I, I I'm going to say this to the majority of fans out there have that class. Maybe you don't like the guy's job that he does. And maybe you even could call for his job, but when it's gone, I don't get it. And I, I just hate when fans do that. And again, it's a minority of fans. The majority of fans are great, you know, wishing someone well, or don't say nothing at all. But when they just bounce at someone like that and get nasty and rub it in and say, Mike, you're next, or Tim, you're next. You know, I just don't like that. It just doesn't work for me. So anyway, we'll talk about this more another time. Hold on. I have something that I that I have to add here. All right. This is like monumentous uh, occasion coming up right here. It's a it's a compliment, you, you know, from me to you that you don't get often. Um, but but when you just said, you know, that's not how you roll, um, I, I thought something that I wanted to do in the intro and didn't have the opportunity to. And that is just to, uh, you know, because we haven't spoken since that is just to congratulate you uh, on, on Adam Schefter interview and, you know, getting a big fish like that to join your podcast. You know, you're right. You don't roll that way. You have always been respectful, uh, of, of media people long before, uh, I think this podcast, uh, was, you know, was even a thought that you were going to, uh, that you were going to start one. And it is because of that respect that you show them, uh, and, and that you have shown them over the course of the past, you know, 
15 or, or 20 years, uh, kind of being, you know, in and around the, uh, the inner circle, uh, of the local media that these guys have given you, um, their time and really, you know, th- given you a, a product that, uh, that you should be proud of. So congratulations on the, uh, on the Schefter pull old friend. Good job. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And you're right. I, I do have a lot of respect for these guys and I've had it long before I started podcasting. Cause like I said, I wanted to be a sports writer for the longest time. And, you know, I've had taste. I've worked in, you know, I've worked with tabloid publications, my website, things like that before. So I've gotten to cover plenty of Sabre games and Bills games. I don't know these guys that well, but I'm around them and I see what they do. And I think if a lot of fans took some time and realized how much work actually goes into what these guys do, they might have a different attitude towards some of them. And that's actually the reason why, I had these interviews on this podcast. If if you've noticed, and we're going to get to Marlon, by the way, in a second. But if you notice on this podcast, the majority of interviews I have are about life and growing up and how they got to where they got to. I like to tell the story and pull the curtain back a little bit. You know, I had Sal Capaccio on here. I've had Tim Graham. I think we talked maybe two minutes of football. I've had Matthew Fairborn, Tyler Dunn. I barely even talk about football with them. Even Adam Schefter, for that matter. I think I might've asked him about four or five minutes worth of Buffalo Bills questions because I'm more interested in everyone getting to know these guys and, you know, any struggles they might've went through and how they got to where they got to. And like, you know, in Adam Schefter's case, he didn't set out to be an NFL insider. Shit. He didn't even set out to be a writer. He just kind of fell into it. He didn't want to go to Michigan. He only went to Michigan because he got rejected at two other schools. He only joined the school newspaper because he couldn't get into the fraternity that he wanted to. He only took a job with the Denver newspaper, which eventually turned into the Post and covered football for 16 years because he got rejected by like 200 newspapers when he applied for the job. So I just like telling those kind of stories. And to be fair, it's not really me telling them. I'm just driving a little bit and asking the questions. They're the ones doing all the work. Anyway, long-winded response to your rare compliment for me. So thanks, I do appreciate it. I'll tell you what, we're going to come back in a few and talk some bills and a few other things. But right now, here's my interview with former Buffalo Bill cornerback Marlon Kerner. Okay, my guest today is a former Buffalo Bills cornerback. He was drafted in the third round out of the Ohio State University in 1995 and played for the Buffalo Bills for three full seasons before a knee injury. In the 1998 season opener would prematurely end his playing career. It came full circle as today he works for the organization as a director of player engagement and alumni. I'm talking about Marlon Kerner. Welcome to the podcast, Marlon. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Oh, pleasure's definitely all mine. Let's start here. So you grew up in Columbus, Ohio. You know, obviously you must have been a great high school football player because you end up going to the Ohio State University, like I said. Was it always Ohio State for you, or were there other schools that you considered? Um, Honestly, if you knew me in high school, you would have thought that I was going to Notre Dame. Really? Uh, every I got so many letters from Notre Dame about going to play there. Um, I took my senior pictures in Notre Dame gear. Um, I had every letter that Notre Dame ever gave me, plugged um, and pasted up in my locker. Um, I was 100% all in on Notre Dame uh, and then got in that recruiting game and Ohio State was really like, hey, we want you to go. We want you to come. 
we need you here. We're trying to change what we're doing. Um, and, and you're somebody who's local that we would love to have you come in. Ohio State just kept recruiting me hard. Um, and when it came down to it, Notre Dame kind of was playing that, well, we kind of like this guy, we like that guy. Uh, and then Ohio State was like, hey, I want you. I mean, they called me during their bowl game. Um, I got a call about once a week from one of the coaches um, just checking in on me. Um, so, you know, I, I said, hey, you know what, that's it. Like, I'm, I'm going to Ohio State. I, I knew what they were about anyway, um, having grown up there. Um, and I knew the, some of the coaches. So I was like, you know what, it's a good fit. Um, and ironically, the day that I committed to Ohio State, I got a call from Notre Dame asking me to come down for a visit. Um, and I was like, nope, can't do it. I just committed to Ohio State, and I'm keeping my word. And I'm staying there, and I'm going to that school. <laughs> well, obviously, it worked out for you well because you end up playing in the NFL. Now, I'm a Notre Dame guy. I wish you wouldn't have told me that because now I kind of wish you would have went to Notre Dame. <laughs> I was a high school quarterback, I, um, believe it or not. So uh, I was running around, running the option, handing the ball off, doing some bootlegs. Um, and kind of doing some things. Um, actually, four of my high school teammates, we all went on to Ohio State to play football. Um, I played high school ball with Jason Gwynn, um, his brother Anthony Gwynn, um, and the late Terry Glenn. So we all went, we all were on the same high school team. Wow. Now, what was the reaction like? You know, you're from Columbus and you go to, you know, you stay in state and go to college there. What was the reaction? How did your friends and your family feel about your decision? Oh, my mom loved it. Um, my mom wanted me to stay as close to home as possible because um, she was getting married. Um, and my stepdad was in the Air Force. Um, so they were going to be stationed in Germany. So, you know, as a kid, when you're picking your colleges, you're trying to look like, all right, I need to get it from mom. Um, and so I'm looking at all these schools that are away. And then my mom's like, hey, I'm getting married. Um, and she's like, I'm going overseas. So then you're kind of like, hey, you know what? Staying here around my friends and other family is not that bad of, a, not that bad of an idea when mom's going halfway across the country um, to just be like, hey, I'm out. So, you know, it kind of made it a little bit more easier to say, you know what, Ohio State definitely really became the best fit because, all my other family was there. I still had that support network there. Um, and I can still call my mom when I needed to talk to her and she still came to visit. But it wasn't the same as like having mom at, at home. Right. Obviously, the big rivals, Michigan. You guys go one, one, and one against them while you're there. You know, I kind of did my homework on this, Marlon. How big was that rivalry to you? What did it mean to you? Such a big storied rivalry that the whole world knows about. As someone who was actually part of it, what did it mean to you? I mean, it means everything. I mean, when you, people don't really understand that rivalry between our two schools, uh, I mean, you'll see people don't say the M um, during that week. Like, they'll just call it Michigan week. Um, you have some people that won't even call them Michigan. They'll just say that team up north. Uh, we have a clock that starts and counts down from the day that we stop playing Michigan, and it counts down until the next day that we – the next time we play Michigan. So – I mean, that, that, it's a huge rivalry. Uh, I think it's one of the best rivalries, if not the best rivalry in all of sports. Um, just the history, the tradition, uh, the fact that a lot of their coaches also played at Ohio State or coached at Ohio State um, just adds to the intensity. Uh, and then, you know, it always came down to whoever won that game was going to win the Big Ten. Um, so that was kind of how you grew up watching it as a kid. That was how it was when we were playing. Uh, we had some intense battles, and we came up a little short. But I am loving the fact that we're like, 2,000 and like 300 and something days since Michigan has last beat Ohio State. So I always make fun of the Michigan guys when I bump, I'm running to them now and some of the Michigan fans like, how long has it been since you beat Ohio State last? 
I'm just saying. Like, you know, it's good as your last victory. So it's kind of fun um, being from there and understanding what that rivalry is all about. Tell me about your draft day experience. You go in the third round to Buffalo. How did that process play out for you? And what was it like to, to get that call? But first talk about the process of getting drafted. You know, the process of getting drafted is just crazy in itself just because you don't know how it's going to play out. So I come in, my senior year was probably um, up and down. Um, I kind of was trying to figure out how to play still because um, I was a high school quarterback. Um, so I'm still trying to figure out the position, all the nuances, the ins and outs. Um, so you're trying to just kind of like don't have a bad game. You know, all my friends are like, hey, you're going to the NFL. Block the noise out, but it's hard to block the noise out. Our season, my senior year didn't kind of go the way that I, I thought and I envisioned it would go, but it went the way that I needed it to go because um, I think I grew up a lot as a player. I learned a lot about positioning um, and understanding that it, it takes more than just athletic ability to play. Um, at the next level, so I kind of grew up. Like, my senior is kind of like that, that 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 maturity, that growth process for me. You know, I go down to the Senior Bowl. Um, I I actually got an interception in one of the practices and took it back um, uh, for a pick six. Uh, so you know, so now all of a sudden, some people are calling scouts like, "Hey, you know, good job today. You know, you're doing well against the talent that you have down here." Um, and then you go on and go to the combine. Uh, they lost my luggage <laughs> at the combine. Wow. <laughs> so I get to the combine. I'm like, I have nothing to change into. You know, they gave me a time of, all right, you have to go and go do some exercise. You got to see the doctor. So I'm literally in some Timberlands and a pair of jeans. Um, and I'm kind of doing these exercises. And then you have to get ready to run a 40 the next day. Uh, so I'm at the old, we're at the old RCA dome. Turf is terrible, super slow. You can't wear any fast shoes, so no waffle racers, nothing that will make you run fast. So everybody's got in sneakers. I think I had on some, on some Air Pegasus or something like that that were super heavy, not as light as they are now. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I get there, I run. Um, I'm like, eh, whatever. Um, it's freezing cold. Um, you get through that, uh, and then you come back like, all right, where's next? Uh, I was still in school, so I, I decided just to stay in and finish uh, finish out that, that semester at Ohio State. So I'm going through that. Um, I, you know, I, I stay at home, and I'm like, I'm going to just hang out. And that was back when the draft used to just be start at noon on Saturday and run all night, all day, all night, and then come back on on Saturday, Sunday, and then you watch the rest of it. So it was a day and a half process, and you're done. So I'm just hanging out. I get some steaks. I, I kind of just grill out some chicken, some hot dogs, things like that, just watching my family. We're watching it all day. I'm watching my friends get drafted, you know, calling guys, saying congratulations. Uh, and then we get to about the third round, um, and we're all like, hey, you know, uh, it, it's kind of trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and that's when the draft at 7 would then switch from ESPN and go to ESPN2. Yeah. Um, and in Ohio, you have um, ESPN, you had ESPN2, and then there was like this Ohio sports channel um, that looked very similar to ESPN2. So, you know, I'm at my aunt's house like, you know, we're all hanging out there, and I'm like, all right, you have ESPN2, correct? Yes, I do. Um, you know, not a problem. I get there. She doesn't have ESPN2. So I can't watch the rest of the draft. I have no idea what's going on except for flipping into ESPN and watching the ticker with the draft go down and scroll on the bottom. So I'm watching that, uh, and I'm just kind of thinking, like, all right, what's next? I see her in round three. So um, I have a cousin. We're about six months apart. Same age. Um, she's, she's at home. So we're like, hey, you know, all the teams have this number. 
do not get on the phone. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and I'm in my coat and we're literally all about to go hang out and go bowling because I'm like, you know what? It's probably not going to happen today. Let's just go have some fun and hang out. Um, so we're sitting there and then my cousin calls up from the basement like, Marlon, telephone. And I'm like, I did not hear the phone ring. <laughs> like, who, who's on the phone? And she's like, I don't know. It's some guy from the Buffalo Bills. And I'm like, what? So I grab the phone uh, and I get on there and I'm like, hello. Uh, and it's Dwight Adams. Uh, and he's got the, that, that country draw. And he's just like, Marlon Kerner. And I'm like, yes, sir. Uh, and he's like, congratulations. Uh, you're a Buffalo Bill. Um, and so we talk a little bit. Um, he puts on... Coach Levy, uh, we talk. He says, congratulations. Um, I talk to the rest of the coaching staff. Uh, and then I hang up the phone, and I'm like, wow, this is real. Somebody pinched me. Like, I just got drafted by the Bills, a team I did not even know was, was interested in having me be a part of the organization. Uh, so, you know, I get there. We come back from any camp. Uh, and then just kind of figure out, I'm, you know, I'm trying to get past the don't get starstruck because, you know, I'm there with Andre. I'm there with Jim. I'm there with Bruce. I'm there with Thurman. And I'm just like, whoa, this is amazing. Like, all these guys that were just um, gone to four straight Super Bowls, uh, and they're standing in front of me, and, and, I'm, and I could be a part of this team. So, so once I got past that, I kind of started figuring out how to play um, the, the, the scheme that we were, we were trying to learn, um, and then just kind of um, everything else just kind of fell into place. So you didn't have any idea beforehand, no indication that the Buffalo Bills were interested in drafting you? None. They had. They didn't even say we're interested in you or anything like that. The only conversation I had with them was on my pro day. Um, I ran um, a four three five forty, and they were just kind of like, "What'd you eat for breakfast?" And I said, "I ate pancakes." <laughs> and, and they just laughed and said, "Oh, you should eat pancakes more often." <laughs> and I was like, "Ah," and I was like, "Okay, I, was, I think I'll do that." Um, and that was it. Um, and that was the only interaction and conversation that we had uh, from from the entire process. Wow, that, that's an awesome story. Okay, so you get drafted by Buffalo in 95. At the time, they're one full season removed from the last of their four straight Super Bowl appearances. Now, that, that team isn't dominant like it once was, but you still got drafted to a team that was still very good. It was, it was, it was intimidating coming in because you knew the history, uh, but then you kind of like, you know that these guys, some of these guys, probably a couple, because you're like, I don't know. Um, but uh, at least two of these guys, you knew Bruce, you knew Thurman, you knew Jim, um, were definitely going to be Hall of Famers. Um, and I, and I, had, I knew Andre, Andre Reed is who he was um, as a guy coming in. Um, but you didn't know how good he was until you got to go up against him. It's like, oh, my gosh, this guy's amazing. So, I mean, you know you had three bona fide. And I was like, I think after spending time with Andre, I was like, I think he'll go. Um, and then you also, um, I came in when they signed Ted Washington. So it's Ted's first year. And, and that was like the biggest nose tackle that I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and one of the funniest and good guys all around, just a great guy all around. Uh, and then you add the fact that we signed um, Bryce Pop uh, so from Green Bay. And so I'm looking at him like, this guy looks like a defensive end and he runs like a linebacker. Um, and he could move, he was strong. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, so that's when you kind of realize like everybody at this level is good. Um, there is nobody that isn't good at this level. But now it's, all right, what am I going to do to separate myself? So I started getting the playbook. I learned it. Um, but it also helped to have um, young, young first-round draft talent in front of me. So they weren't, I would say, like hard and vets were like, well, I don't want no rookie coming and taking my spot. You know, they were young. They were still trying to figure it all out. So they were, they were, they were willing to share and teach. So, you know, the friendships that I formed with Jeff Burris and Thomas Smith and, 
and uh, Ken Irvin, who came in with me, uh, and Henry Jones and Kurt Schultz, like those guys were kind of still young in their careers, although Henry had been around for a little while. Uh, but it was just amazing that they welcomed me in and kind of said, hey, you know, they were all about we need to have the right pieces to get in. We want to make another run. We got to get to the playoffs. They understood what it took to get to that next level. So that was probably the best thing to kind of come into as a rookie of guys who understand um, so they could actually help you figure out what your role is going to be and how you should prepare and, um, and, and get ready for games. Right. And that's the culture. And here's something like, you know, very young Bills fans who've only been around, you know, a fan of the team for the last, I don't know, let's just say 10 or 20 years that they don't get. You know, this year the Bills make the playoffs for the first time in 17 years. They lose in the first round, you know, the wild card round. And it's a celebration and understandably so given that they went 17 years without an appearance. Now your rookie year, Buffalo goes 10 and 6. They beat Miami in the wild card, but then you guys lose to Pittsburgh in the divisional round. And at that time with that team, and I'm sure, you know, you were there firsthand, so you know this, that was considered a big disappointment. It was it was a huge disappointment. Everybody thought we um, should win, and we played well enough um, to put ourselves in a situation to win, and we just kind of came up a little short. I think they scored. Well, I know one of the touchdowns that Cordell Stewart caught um, should not have counted because he stepped out of bounds. Uh, so <laughs> I do remember that vividly. Uh, but that was also the flu game for Bruce um, as well, so he wasn't there at all. Um, so, you know, so we weren't full strength on defense. We didn't have all of our horses up front. Um, so they kind of exploited that. They were able to run the ball. Um, they completed some passes um, on us. Um, and I remember one of those passes I gave up was a nice, long 70-yard completion, um, which I was mad at myself um, for not recognizing their formation um, that they had and, and recognizing the passing play that they were going to call because um, we had practiced it all week. Um, so just little things that kind of helped us not win that game. And so as a rookie, you kind of check away like, all right, now, you know, I'm starting the game. I'm starting the playoff game as a, as a rookie. You know, I did some – okay things. I did some things that I, I needed to learn from. And so that was that growth mindset that we had. Like it was a disappointing year because um, we didn't make it. The ultimate goal was to get to the Super Bowl. Um, and then I think after that, what, um, one more year, then Jim retires. Um, and I think Coach Levy retires. Um, so the team looks totally different in two years. Um, just kind of like, all right, so you knew you were on the tail end of it. So you wanted to go out there and play well, um, well enough to kind of help them get back and achieve that goal. But you know, just a little short, but definitely a lot of learning and growing um, on my part um, that rookie season. Now that second year, and you mentioned it, you guys go 10 and six again. This time you lose to Jacksonville in the wild card round. And what Bills fans are going to remember from that game, even more than the loss was Jim Kelly getting carted off, which would turn out to be his last game. How hard was it for, for Jim and for the organization to essentially see his career end the way it did? You know what I mean? You kind of know that that's how football is, and you hate to see that happen. Um, I firsthand know how that goes. Um, so, you know, you know that's the risk that we take when we play this game, and you knew he had already had a storied career. Um, and you were hoping that maybe um, he, he comes back for another season. I mean, but that was a personal choice he had to make for himself, and I think, you know, he kind of knew, like, hey, it's time to hang it up. You know, he had had um, shoulder surgery, I want to say, the year before. Um, so coming into it, you know, he was still trying to get it right. Um, and he's like, all right, how many soldiers am I going to put my body through? Um, to keep coming back, um, and there was no guarantee um, that, you know, that the team was going to still play the same way that they played the year before. And I think, you know, he understood, hey, you know, he, he could do something that a lot of us don't get to always do, which is go out on his own terms. Like, he got to say, I'm done and I'm hanging it up, um, and I'm choosing to hang up and walk away from it, as opposed to somebody telling them, you're done, 
Um, and so I think he kind of knew within his body where he was, and so he made the decision that was best for him, um, which turned out to be a good, good decision for him. Now all of a sudden you're looking at a whole different makeup of a team. Um, you know, you go from having, you know, this Hall of Fame quarterback who you know is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer to now you've got a young, unproven Todd Collins who has been sitting here um, and, and, watch, and waiting in the wings and for the last two seasons watching Jim, and you're saying, okay, can this guy take the range and take the mantle and, and kind of be the guy that Jim was? Um, and, you know, what a lot of people don't understand about Todd Collins, Todd Collins was a good guy. I, I'm not going to say he, he should have been a starter, shouldn't have been a starter um, or not. Um, but the offense changed. Um, and I think that was the biggest thing. Like, you know, we went from the K-gun and, and kind of spread it out to a lot of tight ends and motions and, and moving and doing some things that, you know, they, they thought might be his strength and it turned out that they weren't really his strong suit. Um, when you come back and you look at it in retrospect, um, maybe he would have been better served in a more open offense um, to kind of maybe take advantage of the fact that he could he could hit some short throws and get some get guys in space. Um, so as you kind of think about all those things, you're like, man, so like man, and, and that's the that's the thing that we tell guys, even our rookies now. Like you know, you know, when I talk to guys coming through from the drafts, you're kind of like, listen, you know, it, the scheme has got to be right. Like you know, you got to get to the right place and you got to get to the right organization. But also the scheme that they put you in, you got to be a good fit. I mean, you got to be able to figure out how to fit within that scheme, one or the two, um, or else you know it's not going to be you're not going to be there long. It's not going to be a long career for you that, at that team because you, you're not fitting what they're trying to do. So that 97 season that you're referring to, it kind of symbolized the, the end of uh, what was a dominant Buffalo Bills era. You know what I mean? You go, the team made the playoffs eight of the 10 years before that, you know, four Super Bowls. And like you mentioned, Todd Collins, his first year as a starter, maybe it wasn't the right fit for him, the right system, whatever have you. You still started out five and four, but then you lose like six of your last seven and you end up finishing six and 10. It's Marv's last year. So it's a bad season organizationally. And of course, for you on a personal level, it got a lot worse. Tell us about that game late in 97 when you tore your ACL. You know, I was I was actually having fun playing football, even though we weren't um, playing well. Um, I was just enjoying the fact that I was living out of childhood dream. So Right. I was just kind of just running around, trying to make plays. Um, you know, I was coming up on that restricted free agent um, season. So, um, ironically, I had just gotten a phone call from my agent who says, hey, you know, um, the Jets kind of like what you're doing this season. They've been watching. Um, and they, um, you know, once the season ends, you know, I think they're going to make a push at you. Um, so, you know, be prepared. Um, and then he ends the conversation with knock on wood. Um, so I go out and play it against the Jets. And what do I do? I tear my ACL. <laughs> so, you know, you go in, you're like, all right, I'm playing well. I think I recovered a punt, um, muff punt, um, which was my fault because I missed the block. Um, so I better have recovered that muff punt. <laughs> Look at uh, you taking <laughs> accountability. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I missed the block, and I, I left Jeff out to hang and left him out to dry. And I'm like, hey, man, I apologize. Like, you know, um, he got me, he got inside of me, and I was trying to get there, so he muffed it, but I jumped on it. Um, but I did have a near interception, which, you know, that's why we play DB because, we don't always catch them all. Um, so, um, and then, you know, coming into it, and then um, I think maybe a series or two later, I tore my ACL and was done for the game. Um, you know, and I didn't think really think anything of it. I just thought, all right, you know what? I'm going to miss the last three games. Um, I'm going to go get surgery, um, and then I'm going to come back and be ready to go good as new um, for the 98 season. No problem at all. Uh, and then get there. Um, they're like, all right, you got you to gotta get the, the swelling out. So we wait three weeks. I go in December to have surgery. You know, they say, well, who do you want to do surgery? You know, we have a great doctor, Dr. Marzo. 
Um, and so after talking to some of the guys um, on the team, I said, hey, you know, they want me to do the team doctor. What do you guys think? Um, they're like, absolutely not. You know, they're like, nothing against Dr. Marzo. He's a good guy, but he's the team doctor. They're like, you want somebody that is not affiliated with the team to kind of do it. So I ended up going out to Vail, Colorado, and have Dr. Stepman do the surgery. Um, and we fly, I fly out there. But in the process, I start thinking, like, what happens if I don't make it back? You know, um, and that was kind of the real, the first time I kind of thought, like, okay, so this could end. And so, you know, I thought, like, you know what, I need to finish school. So, you know, I start thinking about it. I, I, tell my, I, I talk to my family, like, hey, I think I'm going to go back to school. Um, I go back to the, doc, the trainers and say, hey, listen, here's what's going to happen. You know, I'm having surgery. And then school at Ohio State starts January 4th. So I'm going to Columbus, and I'm going to go finish. Um, school ends because we were on quarters then. So school started in January. We got done in March. Um, I was graduated like March the 8th or March the 10th, somewhere around there. I said, so for those three months, I'm going to go to school and I'm going to graduate. And they were just kind of like, no, we want you here. Like, listen, you know what? There's no guarantee. Uh, and so I'm like, if you want me to come back once a week, if you want me to come back every weekend, I will do whatever it takes. I'll drive back. If you want to fly down, I'll pay for it. To me, it doesn't matter. But I said, this is something that's important to me. And just in case I don't make it back, I'm going to graduate. Uh, and so sure. after the conversation is going back, we, they say, okay, go ahead. So I had the surgery. Um, and I'm on a plane. I, I'm, I had already talked to Ohio State, so I had talked to him. I had already had paperwork filled out. I'd already, I was already enrolled in, in the classes, ready to go. Um, I just had to send my check. I called my dean. The first person I called before I even had surgery was the dean of the college that I was um, graduating from and said, hey, you know, I mailed a check. I FedExed it. Um, did you get it? I just want to make sure you had it. He's like, I have it. You're all set. I'll see you January 4th. So have the surgery, get there, graduate. Um, I, I do all the classes. And I graduate in March, come back, do the rehab. We do everything. Um, I get to training camp that summer. Uh, and the knee is just, it's, 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 it's coming along, but it's not coming along fast enough. Um, and I'm trying to do something that most guys don't get to do um, at that defensive back position, cornerback position, is come back from an ACL, be full go in exactly nine months, um, and be able to play in a game at a high level um, with the amount of trauma. Um, so I, I'm, I'm already trying to speed it up by three months. Um, and so I'm going through camp. I remember the first day at camp, um, we do one-on-ones and I'm just kind of like, I, I know it's kind of like, it's strong enough to run on, but I know it's not a hundred percent. And so I knew that, um, but I get an interception in the first one, like, all right, good one-on-ones, got a good, 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 good body position. You know, I can do this. And then it just swells up. Like, I mean, it balloons up, um, you know, and I'm like, all right, no biggie. You know, so we, we kind of wrap it to see if it comes down. It doesn't. We end up draining the knee, um, and it's completely just filled with um, blood. Like, there's no no scar tissue tearing, no anything. Like, just there's something going on with it. But you know, I'm like, you know what? Let's let's see let's see what's going on with it. Let's see if we can push through it. Um, so again, you know, ment mentality of trying to get back out there, be the gladiator. Um, you know, it's not I'm, I can overcome it. So I make it through camp doing this. You know, literally, like I would practice for a couple days, and then I would come back. And I would have to salvage for a few more days because then we have to drain it, wrap it, let it, let the swelling go down, and then go back and, and then kind of rehab it slowly. So I make it through camp, make it through preseason, get to the first game um, in the 98 season, um, and I'm out there. And we go out to San Diego, and, and I'm trying to go now full speed. So we always talk to the rookies, um, current rookies now, about speed of the game, speed of the game, speed of the game. Speed of the game is so much different. So you can imagine OTA's pace 
and then you get to training camp pace, and that's at a different level. And then the regular season at a whole nother pace. Um, and don't even get me started about playoffs because that at a whole different level as well. <laughs> so we start talking about that, um, and so the speed of the game is so much more faster. Um, and I haven't really ran at that pace yet, so my knee is kind of like whoa. And so as I'm playing, my knee is swelling, literally swelling during the game, and I know it's swelling because I'm watching it get bigger. So I, I go to the side. I tell them, hey, listen, at halftime, we're going to have to drain this knee. Um, I was like, I know I got fluid on it. Um, and they're like, okay, um, we can do that, no problem. And we get there, and I'm running on special teams, running down on the punt gunner, uh, and I had so much fluid in that left knee that it started backing up into my quad, and for some reason it just caused the quad to misfire, um, and it just kind of buckled and kind of gave out when I was running. Uh, but I was in mid-stride running down on the punt gunner. So when that leg buckled, my right leg got stuck in the grass. And I just felt like it was just like a little pop, like you snap your fingers, just nothing crazy, like snap your finger, felt some pain. Um, so I stayed on the ground for a second, like, hey, that didn't feel right. And then it stopped hurting. So I get up um, and I go to the sideline and they're like, everything okay? And I'm like, you know, it just doesn't feel right. So we check it. We do the test uh, to see if the ACL is intact. You know, it, it, it kind of pivots, but it doesn't lock out. So, like, you know, I think you're fine. I go back out and start, I'm playing on it. Like, I'm playing on an ACL that eventually I find out is, is 85% torn. Uh, so I'm out there making tackles. I'm out there running down on kickoff. I'm doing that. I go in at halftime. You know, I say, hey, check it more time. It's, it's kind of sore. It doesn't feel right. Um, and they're like, you know, same thing. You know, we, we'll get an MRI tomorrow and take a look at it if you want to. Great. Let's drain the left knee. So we drain the left knee <laughs> um, at halftime. I run back out. I go down on kickoff. And then I feel... I go to stop, and I just feel this excruciating pain um, that I've never felt in my knee before. And I was like, hey, something's not right. So I go and tell them, and they said, okay, you're done. They shut me down. We go in, we go in, we wrap it up. So I got ice bags on both knees now, and I'm sitting there. We wrap it up. Uh, we, you know, we get ready. We end up losing that game. So I got to take the three-hour flight back across country. My knee's throbbing. Uh, and then I get up and get an MRI that Monday morning. Um, I'm there all day uh, waiting for the results. And then he comes in and says, you got to – your ACL is 85% torn. It's like it's a little thread just holding it together. Like at any point in time, any movement, it could have snapped. And he's like, it would have been another ACL um, like you had before. So he's like, you know this. He's like we're going to have to complete reconstruction on it again. And you're going to be out for the rest of the season. And so that was it. So now you're like, man, that sucks. So, you know, so before I, before all my friends and all my teammates hear about it, I start calling guys like, hey, you know, hey, Henry, hey, Jeff, hey, Ken, hey, Thomas. Um, I call every defensive back um, and let them know what, what, what they're about to hear the news. Uh, and then that was it. I get put on IR, um, and then I have to watch the rest of that season um, as, you know, we go on. Um, and I think we went 10-6 that season. Yeah, well. made the playoffs, yep. Uh, made the playoffs, so I had to watch the head at home. Um, and then I do all the rehab, everything that you want. I'm trying to get back in. Come later on. Um, then, so, so after I do the rehab for and have the surgery again in September <laughs> um, of for the ACL, um, and then they find out what's wrong with my left knee. So I had to have a microfracture on my left knee um, to kind of fix some cartilage damage that was there. Uh, and then, you know, I'm watching and I do the I do our all season workout conditioning program twice um, during the season, um, and I run it all the way through. And then I come back, and then they're like, "Hey, you can't run." So I get released the day of training camp in '99. So you're like, all right, um, now what? Um, and, you know, I can't work out, um, even though I know I need a trainer's help. So I moved back to Columbus. I do 
the, the rehab. I do everything with Ohio State, uh, and then it just doesn't respond right. So I know I'm done. Um, so I end up getting married. I move back here. Um, I end up getting one more trial with Indy, um, and then they're just like, hey, you know, you look great. You know, like 10 pounds heavier, um, you know, muscle, because um, I've been working out um, from having an ACL injury. So I'm still keeping that same workout regimen going. You know, but it's like, you got a lot of arthritis in your knees, so, you know, we're not going to sign you. And so that's when I kind of know, it's like, all right, it's time to go. You know, so now, you know, I love the role I'm in now because I'm going to be them at some point in time. You know, I'm 25, and I'm like, okay, I played four seasons, so I know I have retirement. I'm in some benefits, um, but I don't play long enough to make money where you can say I don't have to work again. So now I'm 25, uh, and you're like, now what? Now what do I do? Um, and so I decide to get completely away from football. Because um, it was it was therapeutic for me to just decompress and get away from football. Uh, sure. So I started in banking. I ended up doing um, retail. I worked two years for top um, markets, um, and then I ended up working with Target for eight years. And then I come full circle, um, just having to have a, a chance encounter with uh, Mark Honan, um, who was our VP of um, communications with the Bills, um, and. He just says, hey, you know, um, we're going to be trying to do a, an alumni position and we want a former player to head it up. You know, would you be interested? Um, and I said, sure. And I don't hear anything from him for a year. <laughs> so, like, he says that. I said, yes. He's like, I'll get you the details. And then I don't hear back from him for a year. So I actually was looking to maybe make a career change. Um, so, you know, I sit there and I say, okay, now what next? Um, and I, I give him a call on a whim just saying, hey, I just want to let you know, you know, I'm looking to make a career move. Um, but if, and I, I just don't want to make one if you guys are still looking at this position because um, I don't want to take a new position and then and then have to tell you that I just took a new job and I can't do it. So right. I don't don't hear anything from you. And then he calls me out of the blue like, hey, can you go meet Russ? Russ wants to sit down and talk to you. So I talk to Russ. He tells me what the plan is. You know, I tell him I'm interested. Um, and then it just worked out that in 2015 I come back and now I'm just the director of alumni for the bill. That's awesome. So I come back and we start a new position start a new, um, a new whole, they're doing a whole new um, division um, within it, just an alumni department. Um, and so we get to create that department, department from scratch. So it was awesome to get there. It was amazing just to come back and come full circle. Let me ask you this. I mean, you were around the same age. You're, you know, you're in your forties now. When this happens to you, you're only in your, what, 24, 25, 26 years old. How do you handle that mentally looking back now, you know, some 20 years or close to a 20, yeah, actually about 20 years later, how were you able mentally to get through something like that? You know, it's your dream to play in the NFL. Would you accomplish that? I'm sure you, you know, take a lot of uh, pride in doing that. But just mentally being able to get over the premature way that your career ends, it had to be very, very difficult for you to be able to get through something like that mentally. And I'm sure maybe going back and, and further in your education at Ohio State after the first time you got hurt probably helped a little bit too. I mean, yeah, definitely having um, going back to Ohio State definitely helped because then I didn't have to go back to finish school, um, which some guys, um, when their career ends, they have to then, okay, now what? Uh, you know, it's something that you don't plan for. Um, you don't plan to have your career cut short by injury, but the reality is is it's probably going to happen um, for most of us. Uh, so, you know, for me, it's just kind of I, I, I wanted to get away from football. And so if I had really, really thought about it and said, okay, what do you want your life to look like when you're done? Um, and had somebody in my ear saying, you know, hey, here's a plan. Um, what do you want it to look like? You know, I probably said, hey, I would love to still be around football, and I might not have made the same decision. But because, you know, you're upset about the fact that, for me, I wasn't mad at the Bills. I understood it was business. Um, I was more mad about the fact that there were, there were goals 
that I wanted to accomplish that I didn't get to accomplish. So it was kind of me, like, I still felt like, all right, I didn't accomplish the things, so I felt like I failed at some of the things I wanted to do. Uh, but then I got married. Um, so then I was like, all right, I'm married. I have a kid now. So for me, it was like, okay, you know, because I bumped into so many people along the way, like, you play for an NFL team? Yeah. You're working here? I'm like, yeah, I am. I mean, how does that feel? Like, gosh, you must be so depressed. No, actually, I'm not. Like, I choose to be here. So, right. You know, and I said, you know what? And, and so for me, it was kind of like, I didn't mind um, coming and starting from the bottom because I didn't want anything handed to me. I wanted to start and make my own path. And whether people liked it or not, I was okay because it was my path. It was my life. It was my choice to kind of go this route. Um, so I was okay with starting at the bottom. And I mean, literally like starting from the bottom because what we don't realize as we're playing is, is there, you still have to take some steps to somehow get some experience to put on a resume or else you're starting at the bottom. Um, and so there's no job that you're coming out of straight out of college that's going to pay you the amount of an NFL salary. Um, even if you're three, four years removed, there's no job without being a CEO of your own company um, that's going to pay you that, that salary. So if you don't have some work experience and then say, you know what, I'm okay starting here, and it's going to help subsidize the money that I made, um, then until I get the experience to kind of say, here's where my salary I want it to be. So that's where um, that kind of it helped me. I'm, I'm able to help those guys kind of see that picture now. Um, but then for me, it was just kind of more of a just, look, man, like you can sit up here and try to be proud if you want to. Yes, I played in the NFL. That's great. But at the end of the day, I still have a wife. I have now. I had now, now have three kids. Um, so I, I need to make sure that you put your ego aside um, and say, you know what, I got to go get a job because I didn't play long enough to say that I don't have to work. So I know I'm going to work, and so I'm going to get a job. And it doesn't really matter what people think of me or say or whatever because that's their opinion. And I'm not. My self worth is not defined by what they think of me. Well, I mean. Kudos to you for having the right attitude and the right mindset with everything. You know, it would have been easy to spiral out of control, you know, when you have your career taken from you like that. So definitely kudos for you for having that correct mindset that you need to have. Let's, before we wrap this up, let's turn our attention real quick to the current bills. I want to talk about them for a couple of minutes anyway. I enjoy talking to media guys on the show a lot, and I like to get their thoughts on some specific players, but few guys are more qualified to talk about a cornerback than you are. So while I have you on my show, what are your thoughts on Tredavious White? Because this kid seems like he's ready to become a big star in this league. You know what? He is ready to become a big star. Um, and what I love about Trey is he's such a nice young man. And so, you know, it always gets lost because you're always like, oh, nice guy. Like, but no, he really is. Good. Always smiling. Loves chocolate chip cookies. Um, so <laughs> I always laugh. I, like, like, I love chocolate chip cookies. But you know what? He's so humble. Um, and all he wants to do is work. Um, and so that's refreshing to find he's, he's not, he's not a dude walking around talking about, man, I got to get this. I got to, he's always like, I got to get better. I got to get better. Um, and so obviously he's gifted um, with some above average talent. Um, and I would say, if you just watch um, one knowledge of the game, understanding his body position, understanding how he should approach the game, where he should be very good food of the game. But then, I mean, he has such quick feet. He's so quick and close, tight space. Um, and, and that's what that's something I've always lost. Like, he always has his feet up under him so that he can always change direction just like that. Um, and so that's really refreshing and, and something that you can see, especially with young guys, understanding body position, understanding how to keep their feet underneath them so they can change directions and do certain things um, and move faster um, and change when a receiver changes. And he always seems to be able to do that. Now, you know, yeah, yeah you, they're going to say, well, he gave up uh, a big play against A.J. Green, but 
we all give up big plays, but what I love about him is that he learns. Um, and so that's the second thing about him, or the third thing about him is, you know, you don't really see him make the same mistake twice. Like, you know, he'll he'll learn like, okay, I can't do that again, and then he gets himself corrected and he gets in the right position. And so he's always looking to change and increase his game. So I, you know, sky's the limit. And, and I know he's been tweeting a little bit about um, being left off on some of the um, young guys. Yeah. Going forward, so I like that because he's going to use that um, as motivation, and you're going to see him have a very good season, a very solid season. I'll tell you, I can't remember the last time I've seen a Buffalo Bills football player look like they're having more fun out there. I mean, literally, this kid was looking like he was having the time of his life out there. He had a blast, and that's what you want. You just want to go out there and have fun and play it. And as I look back at the team. Um, that I was on and just kind of what made – and talking to those guys, like what made that team, those teams special, it was family-oriented, um, and they had fun. Like, it wasn't like, oh, this is my job, because it is your job, but you still – they just went out and had fun, and they played football, um, and they, they had each other's backs. And I think that's where this team is headed, where, you know, it's family, um, it's about culture, um, it's not about putting just, – just telling the person out of there, just telling the person out there, it's about getting – the culture fits as well I mean, and buying into the mindset of how you prepare and approach to win. And so it's, it's fun um, to listen to Coach McDermott talk. It's fun to watch guys listen attentively um, and take it to heart um, and then go out and execute it on Sunday. It's so much fun to be there. And to be sitting on the sideline and watch it um, is even more better. Now, last year, Buffalo traded Sammy Watkins to the Rams for a pick and also EJ Gaines. Now, I know that you were one of the guys who helped EJ Gaines get acclimated in Western New York. Are you a little bit surprised? And I, I know he had trouble staying on the field, you know, with injuries, but were you a little bit surprised that EJ would go on to free agency and only get a one-year deal worth about, I don't know, around $4 million on the open market? Because everything that I had read leading up to free agency, the expectation was he was going to get a pretty monster-sized deal, and he didn't. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you read what was said out there for free agency that they thought he might get at least six or seven a year, um, and then he goes for one year at deal at Cleveland, you know that. But that just shows you how the market changes. And so once the initial wave of cornerbacks signed, um, if you don't go in that first couple of days, um, then the amount of money you're going to get significantly reduces and it drops off. And so for him and his agent, I'm sure he had some 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 offers, but it wasn't where they were looking. Then they, you have two choices: you, you can take less. Or you can bet on yourself for one year, and he chose to go to Cleveland and bet himself for one year. So, you know, I wish him nothing but the best of luck. Um, I like EJ. I still shoot him texts from time to time and talk and talk to him and just say, hey, good luck, you know. Um, so I, I'm hoping he has a good season, and then we'll see what happens next year during free agency if he can kind of get the contract that he was hoping to get. All right. Thanks for your time, Marlon. You guys can follow Marlon on Twitter when he actually does check it at MarlonKerner46. <laughs> Appreciate your time, buddy. Thank you again. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Pat with us. To the victor belongs the spoils. Why don't you get the fuck out of here before I shove your quotations book up your fat fucking ass? The customer is usually a moron and an asshole. Okay, a simple wrong would have done just fine, but then... Let's piggyback off Marlon's interview a little bit and talk a little Buffalo Bills with OTAs. Turns out that you were pretty much, at least right now for early June anyway, right when it comes to the reps that the quarterbacks are getting in practice. I mean, Peterman, from everything that we've read, 
He didn't get quite as many reps as A.J. McCarron, but he was a second-team guy, and he got a lot of reps as compared to Josh Allen, who was third, and A.J. McCarron, you know, who got the most. But, you know, Sean McDermott has said many times that this was going to be an open quarterback competition this summer. Based on OTAs this past week, sure as shit looks like it's going to be. Yeah, man. Um, You know, McDermott's a guy who doesn't say much, but he pretty much backs up what he says, you know, and, and uh, I, I think it was, it was pretty obvious that, that Peterman was going to get, you know, his, his fair amount of reps. So, you know, I, I, mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't breaking any, any news there. I was just going off what the, uh, what the coach said, but I, I'll tell you this, the biggest story for me coming out of, you know, coming out of the OTAs, didn't really come from the number one, uh, you know, the first rounder on the offensive side of the ball. For me, it came from the first rounder on the defensive side of the ball. And while I think we all kind of figured that he, you know, would 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 play in the middle, you know, there was there was a lot of talk about you know uh, his ability to go to you know multiple positions defensively and these guys just put Tremaine Edmonds in the middle of their defense from day one and said, you are our middle linebacker, man. And and I think that's a big deal. You know, they didn't play that game. They didn't play that game where, you know, they earn your keep. Yeah. They, 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 you know, and, and it's interesting to see, you know, how, how you handle different young men. I think we all knew that Allen was going to be a project and Allen wasn't going to be coming in with the ones, but you know, the way that they chose to, you know, to motivate Tremaine Edmonds, uh, was, was pretty interesting, pretty exciting. And, uh, while I don't think he'll have the responsibility of, uh, of calling the defensive sets, I still think that's coming from, um, I still think that's coming from the secondary uh, until until Edmonds gets more comfortable. I still think uh, Mika Hyde's going to call call your defenses on the fly, but they're certainly ready to hand the uh, the baton over to Tremaine Edmonds, you know, sooner than later. And what is the you know the, the the normal position for you know for calling the shots on that side of the ball? Obviously, you know the the linebacker spot. Yeah, they didn't. No front in there. No playing games. He's your day one starting middle linebacker. I like that a lot. There's three things to me from, and again, how much can you really take from OTAs? But there's three things that stood out to me, I guess, if something could possibly stand out at this point with t-shirts and shorts on and stuff like that. Number one, you already alluded to it. Edmonds, right away, middle linebacker. No joking around, no games. Number two, it does seem like Josh Allen is going to have to take the long road to get it on that field. Again, only OTAs, lock it happen. There might come a point at the summer where he passes Peterman on the charts. You know, if Peterman's not looking good in training camp. So it's still very early, but nothing is going to get handed to the kid. Let's put it that way. And I think this past week showed that with him being out there with the threes. And here's the other thing that and this stood out to me. And I really like this about this team. Probably what I like about this team more than anything else. The second defensive line out there is Adolphus Washington, which I'm not a big fan of him, but Harrison Phillips, Eddie Yarbrough, and Shaq Lawson. Dude, that is a very, very good 
second unit defensive line. I'm really liking this defensive line this year. They're coming in waves. We spent time earlier, especially me saying that, you know, maybe Hughes gets dumped, maybe Lawson gets traded, something like that. No, they ain't. Keep these guys. Those are two good units. Sean McDermott's going to have a lot of versatility and a lot of weapons on this defensive line this year. Might be the best part of this team. Oh, man. <laughs> Excuse me. You might be right there. Um, I think I think the uh I think the secondary might have something to say about that, but yeah, man, there is there is cause for a lot of excitement in the uh in the front four. No no doubt about it. I th- I think this defense has the potential to be special, man, and it it might might compensate for a lot. Just think if Edmonds is as good as advertised. You know, you you said maybe the secretary's or secondary, I'm sorry is the best part of this team. I think maybe it's the D-line. Now imagine if Milano and, and Edmonds play the way they're capable of playing. You're right. Could be an elite defense. So we'll see. I mean, again, let's let's let the bullets fly before we go, you know, proclaiming anything like that. But the defense on paper, to me, looks really good. And I really love that defensive line. feel like they can come at them in waves. One other bill thing to happen this week, former center Eric Wood. Eric Wood got his uh, release. So all the dead money from his uh, salary cap went to the 2018, which puts the bills at 40. This is crazy, by the way, $46 million in dead cap money in 2018. It's like almost, or maybe even more than double of any other team in the national football league. Clearly the mindset is we're going to put all this dead cap money up this year. So that next year, you know, all bets are off. They're going to be a top five team when it comes to having salary cap money. You like what they're doing, putting all this dead cap money right up front right now this year? Yeah, I don't, I don't see any reason not to, uh, you know, I mean, it's all about, for me, it's not all about, but I mean, that the Darius dead money is, is what makes it look insane. Um, so you take the Darius dead money that was actually, a very smart move in in the eyes of many. I mean, he just, he wasn't a fit and he didn't live up to the contract. He's fucking Albert Haynes of work 2.0 period. So you take that aspect and then you take the, the Eric Wood dead money, which was totally unexpected. And you back those out. I, I haven't done the numbers or anything, but if you back those out, it seems that they'd probably be pretty normal. So you know, they, well, Cordy Glenn too, Cordy Glenn and, and Tyrod too. A lot of dead money from them, but yeah, three, four guys. I know what you're saying. That, that's why that number is so bloated, but it's the fact that you, they traded these guys at the right time and took the cap hits this year. They're taking their medicine, so to speak. So that next year they could really do what they want to do. And we've talked about this too before when having cap room and we both agree on this, that doesn't necessarily mean going out and signing the most expensive wide receiver and the most expensive tackle and stuff like that. It's so that they could set themselves up for the long term. Now you're looking at a team that's in such good cap salary cap shape that they can tie up their core for a long time. You know, Trey White, Tremaine Edmonds when the time comes, Deion Dawkins, Josh Allen, guys like that. If they're smart with their cap buddy, and it certainly seems like this is an organization that's going to be smart. This is a football team that's drafting and, you know, getting a core of guys together now that unlike the Bills from, you know, three, four, five years ago, pretty much everyone's gone now at this point. 
This seems like a team that could stay together and put a run together for quite a long time. They'll have the cap room to do something like that. Yeah, man. I, I mean, they're they're they are conducting themselves in a way very unfamiliar to the uh, to the Buffalo sports band. They have um, we've not seen you know this sort of franchise infrastructure at 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 one Bills Drive. In forever, I mean, because, you know, you can't go back to the Polian years or anything like that because, you know, the cap didn't come in until, you know, until like the, until that run was over. So, you know, this is really the first time we've seen them, you know, run a smart business model and a smart football franchise. It's, it's fun to watch, but now it comes down to, are they picking the right players? And you know, one in particular, um, is, is probably going to dictate a ton, but you know, you can, you can, you can hit on some players. Hell you can hit on your quarterback or luck into your quarterback, no pun intended in say an Andrew luck. And because you did not, you know, prepare your, your, your business model around it, um, either picking players or leaving yourself, uh, you know, room to maneuver in, uh, in, in space, free agency drafts, et cetera. You know, there's a lot of moving parts. This is a big, big freaking business, man. And it needs to be run smartly. And, um, we're finally watching that. And I enjoy watching that. I just enjoy watching smart business get executed. And, um, it's the first time we've seen it in a while. In about a month or so, it'll be Jason Botterill's turn. And and maybe, you know, maybe we finally have a, a two competent general managers because it's been a long fucking time since we have. Could agree with you more, at least on the Bills end anyway. I'm actually interested in how they're running the operation right now and how they're getting to where they're getting to. Definitely, I think it's something that's going to pay off. Maybe not this year but definitely over the next handful of years. couple quick things before we get out of here. Maybe I'm overreacting. You tell me if I'm overreacting here. So Saturday night, game three of the Stanley Cup. Okay, Vegas, Washington, huge game. It's the freaking Stanley Cup, game three. And it's Aaron. It airs on NBCSN because NBC is showing a rerun of Dateline. You have to be freaking kidding me. Am I overreacting or is this why hockey is at where it's at? Um, I don't know that you're overreacting because I've seen this reaction by others, uh, you know, on Twitter and whatnot. But, you know, I mean, it's 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 just comes down to the numbers. You know, if if more people want to watch a fucking Dateline rerun, then that's where they're going to show their, uh, you know, their bread and butter. And the NHL knows how tenuous their relationship is with, uh, you know, with, with, with that particular network. And, you know, they got to eat shit, you know, when it comes to NBC and let's not forget, you know, I, I didn't really, uh, you know, read much about it today in the Dateline stuff, but, you know, let's not forget that Saturday night that goes into overtime, you know, preempts SNL as, as well. And, and that's a big, uh, uh, that's a big money maker for NBC yeah, too. That, that's a fair overtime. Point. I mean, I don't know if that's part of it. Uh, you know, I mean, I 
if it was, there'd be no reason for them not to say that it was. It's it, it's it's very difficult, uh, you know, for the NHL to, um, you know, to justify their product to you know to the mainstream because it just hasn't been that good. You know, this Vegas run is 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 cool and 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 whatnot, but you know, I mean, it's just. Uh, it's a, it's it's a lousy product, man. Watch the Sabers. Watch watch a lot of these. Games. I tried. Fucking, I can't. It's fucking boring, man. It's just it's, it can get it can get pretty boring, and they're gonna have to, you know, it's gonna take some time for them to, you know, to get back into into places where um where they matter. All right, one more thing here. Every week on Twitter, there's always some kind of poll or you know, there's something going on that people get into and it spreads like wildfire this past week. And I saw we both did it on our Twitter. It was listing your most, your favorite athlete ever from each sport. So I said, you know what, for this podcast this week, let's do something different. And we don't have to have no long winded explanations, but I said, you know what, Tone, let's do our least favorite athletes ever from each sport. So I'll run down the sport and you could go first if you want, but I'll go first, whatever. I'm just going to run down the sport. Give me your guy, maybe a sentence or two, why that's your guy. And again, this is least favorite athlete that you've ever had. Okay. All right. I'm game. I, yeah, I struggled with some of these, but I'm ready. Well, make something up then. NBA. Uh, yo, I was a, uh, I was a showtime guy. Magic was my favorite and everything about fucking Larry Bird just made me physically ill. He was so corny. His fucking sneakers were corny. His socks were corny. His shot was corny. Now, mind you, as I look back on him now, holy cow, was he an incredible ball player. But I hated Larry Bird. You know, I'm close here. I have Kevin McHale. I feel the same way. I loved the Lakers when I was a kid. I liked other teams too. And I hated the Celtics, but I really hated Kevin McHale. Dude never passed. The black hole. He touched that ball. was over. He was always whining in the officials. Hated his ass. Bill Lambert, close second for me. And you know, Draymond Green is climbing that list pretty quickly, too. If we He's have this podcast in a year or two. One. Yeah. Have this podcast in a year or two, I might be seeing him. All right. NFL. NFL is actually going to surprise you a little bit. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's a hometown guy. I have still not gotten over. Derek Burrow's 15-yard penalty against Tim McGee when Shane Conlon stuffed Dickie Woods on third down from inside the tent. <laughs> All right? I'll never fucking get over that penalty. Derek Burrow's is my answer. I got to go with Dan Marino. Going back to the Bills-Dolphins rivalry in that 80s, I was all in. I I was, you know, I sat here. We, we talked at the beginning of the podcast, taking joy in – Jerry Sullivan losing his job, how some people took join and how terrible I thought it was. I fucking loved when Dan Marino ruptured his Achilles. One of the highlights of my teenage years. <laughs> That's fucked up. It is fucked up. I was young though, whatever. College football. You go. What's your college football? I, I'll tell you what. I go Johnny Menzel. Hated him. I hated him so much. I probably would have stopped being a Buffalo Bills fan if the Buffalo would have drafted him a couple of years ago. And my runner, I even have a runner up to 
runner-up is about 95% of the Miami University, Miami players, the U. I, I put it this way. I will be very disappointed if my son ends up going to Miami in a few years. Dude, I loved those teams. Like, like when I was trying to figure out who my favorite, you know, player was for that when we did it on Twitter, I, you know, I mean, those, the, the Ken Dorsey teams were just so fucking good, man. Oh my God. Those teams were just awesome to watch. They were so good. So I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm against you there, but you know, I'm actually, you're, you're not going to like this. And, and, and this isn't anything that I, that I really thought too long and hard about, but I thought rocket Ishmael was, was kind of overrated. Come I mean, on. the guy fucking, the guy returned kicks and like, maybe like ran a reverse or caught a pass a game or some shit like that. And the, 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 you know, everybody thought he was the shit and, I was a Colorado Buffaloes fan at the time, so I didn't like him. And that's my answer. That's an asshole answer. It is a little bit. I'll take that. College basketball. I was a Georgetown guy. Patrick Ewing was my favorite. And I fucking hated everything about Chris Mullen. (laughs) Dude, this is where the gloves drop, motherfucker. Patrick Ewing is my least favorite ever. I Hated Georgetown. I was all about either St. John's or Syracuse. I love those two schools. Pearl Washington, Walter Berry. I love Chris Mullen. I don't know what's the matter with you. I despise Georgetown. I love Georgetown, Fucking ugly defense, ugly ass basketball. Hated Patrick Ewing. Hated him with a passion. Ugly. What about ugly? <laughs> Don't get me started on fucking Bill Wennington. You want to talk ugly? <laughs> Let's talk about Bill Wennington. I liked Willie Glass though. Willie Glass was pretty I, sweet. I, I, like, I like me some Willie Glass, dude. Another top. You know what? We're gonna have a whole goddamn segment one day on '80s Biggies basketball because I know how you feel about that shit. We'll carry an entire segment just talking about that. We'll do that another time. What about baseball? You got someone for baseball? Yo, I, I love the dude now that he's a commentator and stuff, but, um, and I'm not a, a Yankee fan anymore for some reason or another. I, I just kind of transitioned out of, uh, liking one team and just kind of like them all now. But when, <laughs> when Pedro fucking huh. grabbed Don Zimmer's, you know, bald head, man, that was some fucked up shit. So I, I still, I, I'm still holding a grudge. So there. literally in my notes, you stole my answer and I was even going to yeah. add beating up Don Zimmer. <laughs> you just don't do that yeah. shit. We might agree here too, maybe. I'm not sure about hockey. Who do you got for hockey? I, I got a feeling. I'm one hundred I'm one hundred percent certain we're not going to agree on this because <laughs> right. I dug deep for this one. All right. I couldn't stand Michelle Goulet. All right. I fucking hated those Quebec teams of the mid eighties. Every one of the Stasneys. Mario Gosselin was okay. I didn't mind the goalie. But Michelle Goulet that fucking mustache and he just always scored the most backbreaking goals possible against the Sabres. So unless you've got Michelle Goulet, our, our streak of common answers. will <laughs> end. I do not have Michelle Goulet. I have Dale Hunter hated that dirty ass dude, man. That's Filthy. an easy one. That's easy. It was, I guess, whatever. Well, I didn't say that had to require a lot of thinking. <laughs> I didn't say go outside the box with every fucking category. All right. Couple more boxing. Oh man. I, you know, I never ended up coming up with one here. I, I, it was, it was Hagler 
because I was a Leonard guy. Me too. But I didn't. I don't really hate marvelous Marvin Hagler. Mar- Marvin Hagler's, you know, the shit. So you know, I, I, I just no one ever really. Um, you know, rubbed me the wrong way with uh with boxing. I would say Floyd Mayweather, prefacing it by saying he's one of the best fighters who's ever lived. I just desperately wanted to see the guy fucking get knocked down and lose at some point. He never had. He probably never will. Who knows if he's gonna fight again? I know he says he's retired. If he does, I hope he loses because I hate him. Golf. Can I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna switch my golf answer to tennis. Okay. Because I was a, I was a big Chrissy fan, which means I absolutely hated Martina Navratilova. <laughs> That's a good one. Well, I'm going to stick with golf. I never, I couldn't stand Davis Love the Third. I know a lot of people like him. He just, he, dude, he reminded me of Kevin Spacey. If Kevin Spacey was a PGA golfer, just seems like a prick. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's the way I always felt about him. Last one, and I don't even, I highly doubt you came up with someone, but what about wrestling? Oh, man. You know, you know who was a jerk off? I'll tell you. Iron Mike Sharp. <laughs> I like that guy. Uh, I, I like him, so you're wrong. I'm going to go with a guy who's from Western New York that a lot of people are in a, might not like this answer, but I was never all about Lex Luger. I know he's an Orchard Park dude. Just did not like him. Didn't like him on the mic. I didn't think he was a very good wrestler. Sorry, Lex fans out there. My answer is Lex Luger. All right, so listen, we're getting out of here now. It's been long enough. Before we do, I want to send a shout out to disc golf players. I played for the first time this weekend. It was a lot of fun. I thought it was going to be stupid, but once I got out there, I was like, oh, throw a Frisbee. It's actually a lot of fun, man. Throwing it around a course, it's designed with dog legs, and there's some water on a couple holes and stuff like that. Actually, a lot of fun. I subbed for someone, and now I can't wait till September when a league starts up again so I can get into it. So that's my shout-out for the week. Got anyone you want to send a shout-out to? No. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. All right, that'll wrap up today's episode. Big thank you again to former Buffalo Bills cornerback Marlon Kerner for coming on this podcast and talking about some of those mid-1990s Buffalo Bills teams and taking us throughout his own playing career, talking a little bit about the current team. You know, I definitely got to start getting more former Buffalo Bills players on this show. It's got to be a priority of mine going forward, and it will be. Thanks, of course, as well to my Monday Pat with Pucks partner, my buddy Tone Pucks, for joining the podcast. Coming up on Thursday, as of right now anyway, I'm scheduled to have Cleveland.com, Cleveland Browns beat reporter, Mary Kay Cabot on the show. I'm all kinds of excited about that. We'll be talking about the Browns. Not really excited about that, but we're going to talk about them anyway. Some Tyrod Taylor and her very storied career. I'm telling you right now, male or female does not matter. There's very few sports reporters in this business that are better than Mary Kay. And you can ask anyone and they'll all tell you the same exact thing. So I'm going to be really excited to talk to her. If you haven't done so already, go on Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now, and subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's free. If you want to be extra kind and leave a nice five-star review, that'll help me out. I ain't going to be mad at you for that at all. 
If you don't have Apple phones or iTunes on your computer or whatever, you can also subscribe to the show on Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, or pretty much anywhere podcasts are heard. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. Thanks again for listening. I truly appreciate it. Can't tell you guys how much I appreciate you listening every week or twice a week now. You guys are really the best. Have a good week, a safe week, and I'll talk to you guys again on Thursday. Peace out, man.